Hello, everybody. The con artist here for the end of summer 2017. So we're going to wrap up all our shows and give you some recommendations, hopefully, or just laugh about how bad things are. So, Dan, it's time for... <laughs> oh, boy. All right, here's my moment. Let's, let me see if I can do this. Scooby-Doo, Trinity Blood, Technicolor Jesus, that priest that didn't die, ridiculous pretty boy backstory, Jackie Chan adventures, <laughs> baby Hitler snake cults. Vatican miracle, yeah. Bravo. Yes! <laughs> so, uh, there was only one extra episode past uh, 11, so this is episode 12, and... Eh, the, the it just kind of ends, but it, in classic uh, America, they don't fight God. Oh, absolutely not! Yeah, the devil what? himself. Like I'm so uh. disappointed that there wasn't something super stupid for the finale. Oh my gosh, I forgot the part where they were all on LSD. Oh no no no! Uh, uh. It was cocaine, but yeah, um, that happened. I, I think the LSD was during the baby Hitler sequence. Anywho, um, moving on from that, uh, at the very end of episode eleven, uh. What's what's his face? One of the priests gets a call. His brother, the one with you know, quote terrible, terrible bone cancer. Yes, terrible. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, he gets a call saying that his brother's condition is like you know taken has taken a steep dive, and so he's like, oh man, I gotta like I gotta get to Germany where this guy's hospitalized, ASAP. So he and the other priest start heading there, but. After that, it goes straight to his brother's perspective. Now, I should point out that we have heard his brother say maybe five words this entire time, only in that guy's flashbacks. Like, we have no idea what his personality is, and at the end of that episode, I still really don't, because he's not a character. He's just... But Dan, he has Japanese bone cancer, therefore <laughs> he's like a pity character. Oh, absolutely. You have to like him. Yeah, no, he is, he is an absolute pity character. But it's all about him talking to this one other uh, guy who is, I guess, the ghost of a boy that the other priest knew back when he was young. Uh, okay. By the way, this kid is, like, really up and mobile and very eloquent for someone with an inoperable brain tumor, but hey, that's, uh, I guess he's, like I said, I think he might be a ghost, so I don't really don't know. Hmm. But it's all about that. It's like, you know, how, you know, how his brother was so good to him and how this other guy, like, helped this other dude through his, uh, through his trial, uh, through his trials and tribulations and, like, stopping this close to saying that they were in love. But it's like, you know what, guys? Like, it's obvious that that's the angle you're going for to uh, corner a certain section of the market. So you should have owned it. I would have appreciated the show if it were more honest about itself. But anyway, we we go through this. Dan, let's let's take a minute to really appreciate what you just said. Has Vatican Miracle Burger owned anything this season <laughs> aside from like a section of your brain that it slowly destroyed? I Has mean, it really owned anything? It had two point five Hitlers. Okay, like I have to I have to give it. I don't know. Okay, if, so it owned that. All right. I fine. don't know if I have. To, I don't know if I can say I respect that. But all right, let me ask a different question then, Dan. Mm -hmm. Did they ever examine and find to be true a miracle? Absolutely not. Not a single one of these oh, things what? was an the actual miracle. The show is a lie. Or, or even ambiguous enough that you could call it that. Because here's the kicker. Uh, so they're all heading. They're both heading to this uh, to this hospital where this kid is. And then they get to the hospital, and the kid wakes up. Everything's fine. He's like miraculously better. And I don't know how fast you can recover from bone cancer, but apparently he's like you know. 
relatively speaking, up an atom. But in this week's episode, it's instantaneous. Here's the thing, though. The reason is because, like, one of the doctors is like, he's like, yes, it's, he's like, it's a miracle he tur- that uh, his condition has turned around so fast. Thank God for that, uh, thank God for that doctor from the Vatican. What doctor from the Vatican? It turns out that priest, the one who, the one who, like, murdered all those people didn't die and, like, his family has the ancient gold mines populated by albino slaves. Yeah, that guy. Right, right, yeah. That... He showed up cured the kid of bone cancer and then left with nary a word before these other dudes showed up. Oh, Dan, are you even like crapping us right now? Like what? Like as if to say, oh, he's actually kind of a good guy. No, I refuse to believe you show. You cannot just, you cannot go from race of albino slaves in an underground, in an underground like torture dungeon to he cured this one kid's bone cancer because he's got a hard on for this one other character. No, that that there's no moral ambiguity there. The dude's just messing with you. Huh. Well, okay then. So that's how it ended. Did they, did they at least like jump into this into the air and freeze frame while they all laughed? Nope. Just kind of. <laughs> it ends with them sitting on a bench holding the most ridiculously oversized crucifixes I have ever seen. <laughs> And that's it. Just kind of peters out. Like I guess this was the real miracle. And the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar played <laughs> over the credits, right? If only. There you go. Okay, there we've go, officially Dan. written a better show. This is fine. It's good. Yes, we're we're good. So that was we're my fine. adventure. Are you even joking me right now? Not all at right, all. Everything let's... I've everything that I have described has been one hundred percent accurate to the show. Oh my hmm. gosh. Okay. Well, Dan. I mean, I'm just going to say it for you. I I can clearly tell you're wholeheartedly recommending this show to anyone and everyone family fun, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you know, if you if you want your fill of fake miracles and like plots that would make Dan Brown tor- turn over in his grave where he actually dead. <laughs> plots that will make Dan Brown die and turn over in his grave there for you the go. purposes of Dan's anecdote. The point is, watch Miracle Examiner today. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Oh, Just, oh, wow. Yes. Oh, yes. All right, who wants to take it after that? Goodness. I warmed him up for you. Well, then, I mean, I'll I'll talk about restaurants for a while. Please uh, do. Please. Now, to my surprise, uh, they're actually, the show was over last week, which means there were no new episodes this week, uh, which leaves, I guess, only, like, a recommendation. Uh, from me. So in this case, I actually will kind of recommend it. Hooray. It's a good anime to just watch if you want to kind of chill out and watch people, a diverse cast of fantasy people, enjoy eating food. Uh, each meal does look delicious, and the show does have its formula, like person shows up and eats food and is amazed by how good the food is and goes home. There is enough deviation to keep things fresh, like episode to episode, like whether it be a new character or previously established characters interacting or more story about the fantasy world, there's always something to keep it from just being about the food. It's a good mellow so show, it sounds like. Yeah, it's not the strongest show. I'd call it a solid B. Uh, you know, just kind of, it just kind of does its own thing at its own pace. So that's what I got to say about it. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well then, I want to hear about centaurs. Yeah, we... um. Can this Can this time not have, like, 
pseudo holocaust flashbacks because that was wish terrifying granted. last time oh yes wish, thank goodness wish granted nothing interesting happened for the entire rest of the show oh wow okay all right <laughs> accurate which is interesting i actually kind of enjoyed like the last one with the uh basically it was a class-wide arm wrestling tournament okay like, that was it, it was a, like... it was a decent episode i just didn't think it made for a good finale especially not after like what they were setting up in the, uh, you know, around the two-thirds point there. Now, do all of these uh, creatures actually have arms? Yes, some of them have multiple arms. Yes. I just wanted yeah. to be sure. Were there? I didn't know if there were any, like, Naga-type snake people that are, you know, just a human head on top of a snake body. Uh, nope, not that I know of. The only snake we know has, has arms, so. And so do the people. And so do the people. that's true. But don't, some, like, uh, when we were cutting away to the, like, elite cadre of uh antarctic and like um special god, ops. god impersonators yeah didn't some of them have four arms oh, maybe i didn't really catch it wait some speaking pretty... of that brendan go back to the part where like the antarcticans or something are like impersonating other races gods for funsies <laughs> like did that yeah, ever go anywhere no <laughs> no i mean that's too bad that's no, just that flavor. was the last we that's saw just it. that's just flavor sorry what? I get, That's an awful lot of flavor. It's a it, you know, it is a powerful flavor, like pizzazz. All right. You can't. So, let me tell you this. You can't taste other spices through this. But <laughs> there it is. Okay, so it's like a little, little bit like cayenne. Then all right. Yeah, like it is. Like you're like, wait, are we going to go back to that? It's like, no, that's just kind of the state of the world. Uh, sorry. Like, deal with it. I'm well. I will say that if next season is teaching us anything, it's that it's never too late for a show to get a second season. Uh, they may well do some more. That's true. Now, considering we're getting more I mean, Nejima of all things next season, I guess it isn't too late for anything. Yeah, like, I'm go. sure it's based on source material that isn't over yet. So, Yeah, I think the manga is relatively new. So, I mean, I'm sure they needed to just create a stopping point but you're right after setting up something so big and dramatic and and really interesting i'm shocked that that's kind of how they ended but the show has been straddling the line between like goofy slice of life and oh my gosh fascism and then whoa dang really hard stuff so i guess they just chose a path in the end i feel like the last episode is basically like omake it almost isn't part of the plot it's just hey the first half the character's Oh yeah, like the first half really belonged on the DVD or the Blu-ray. Hmm. Basically, I, one of the was, one of the characters was, in class is like, "Hey, what if everyone was in an RPG?" Like for this half of the episode. Oy. So it turned uh, into gamers. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen gamers, but uh, probably. I don't. The the opening of gamers is the only thing I've ever seen, and like all the characters in an RPG or different types of games. So I was like, it turned into gamers, basically. Hmm. Okay, yeah, basically that then. Yeah, and then the arm wrestling thing, and it was like, all right. And that was the end of that, huh? Yeah, 100%, 100% omake, done and done. Interesting. Well, Brendan, I don't feel like you ever had a negative thing to say about the show, so I would think you would recommend it, correct Some me? of the fan service is pretty gratuitous. Like, there was a couple, like, even uh, even outside of the, like, the weird Sea People episode where we go to their home lane when they don't have visitors and nobody has shirts on, uh, like there was a couple of like weird Blu-ray light bars happening there, so like, I'm not I'm not sure that it, most of that was uh, necessary, but like on the whole, uh, not bad. If a bit okay. tonally inconsistent. 
Yeah, like, really, we, we need to wait for the rest of it to come out, is all. Gotcha. To, to, to cast any further judgment on it. <laughs> okay, all right, that's fair. Hmm. So, Sue, I guess this brings us around to you. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll I'll go with ballroom because you guys Dancing. need to know that Simpho gear has to come at the end. Of course, it uh, does. Of, of this cast. It yeah. does. It has to. So I'll talk about ballroom. Uh, so this will be episodes twelve and thirteen. Uh, so we've kind of reset. We're really done with that first arc where Tatara and his partner Mako entered the Tempe Cup. So this is kind of a like a brand new arc is really where we're going. So what's happened now is that Mako has gone back to being a couple with her brother, Gaju. Um, Hyodo, who is the super arch rival guy, he, uh, his leg is better now, so he is back with lead heroine Shizuku. And that leaves Tatara partnerless. He's, he's all alone. One is the loneliest number for him. So... Uh, here's where we're kind of going. So first of all, the show is doing a much better job of laying a foundation. So in 12, we learned about something called the Grand Prix. So instead of the show kind of just not, I did love that show, but instead of it doing that like Yuri on Ice thing, where it's just like, here's a tournament, here's a tournament, here's a tournament, we're going to a tournament. Like they explain what the Grand Prix is and why, you know, where you attend it and stuff like that and how it falls throughout the year. Why so, this matters. Well, where, you know, where those tournaments are actually coming from, so you have some gauge of what's going on just from a setting perspective, and that helped ground me in, like, what we're reaching towards as an end goal here. Um, the other thing they really talked about was how partners are formed. Now, one of the things we haven't explored at all, you know, we just got dropped with that phrase of being partners in ballroom dance is akin to a marriage. Like, it needs to flow like you're married to this person. And this was a very powerful statement that we never got expansion of. Like, everybody was already coupled. So you you kind of got the phrase, and then you just kind of saw it happening. And Tatara was, like, paired with Shizuku in one episode randomly, and then had Mako the rest of the time. And Mako is, like, very cinnamon roll-like. Like, she's just this adorable and soft and fluffy character who <laughs> Tatara, since he's so good-natured, tried to bring out you know, her nature, and they, they worked fairly well together. So his new uh, partner that they're kind of leading up to is um, Chinatsu Hiyama. So she's a, she's a really interesting character. So first of all, uh, before that, we learn a little bit about what's known as matchmaking. You can actually attend matchmaking sessions that are just you dancing with, you know, someone of another gender and trying to see if you work well with them. So you, you get to understanding that it's a really difficult thing to do. It's not like you just put two people together and they become a unit, uh, which was, was neat for me to, to finally get that background. So anyway, when you meet Chinatsu, she, uh, I won't go into the really long, elaborate meeting of her, but basically she is a very abrasive character. So she's different than Shizuku, who's sort of like Ice Queen-ish, and Mako, who's just this adorable cinnamon roll. She's... She's like the Sundere one, where she, you can tell she really loves yeah, dance. I mean, you gotta have one of those, You right? gotta have the Sundere. So she's the Sundere, but she brings a lot of really neat stuff to the table. So what's most important is everybody we've ever met in the show is either obsessed with dancing from the get-go or like Tatara and has learned to become enamored with dance. Chinatsu is the first person we meet that you can tell that her background is dance, like... 
She has the body build. She knows the steps. Like, she's clearly experienced. However, she's given up dance. Like, she won't admit why yet, but she's very reluctant to even, like, help Tatara or, like, be his practice partner. And she's she's kind of leery of dance. So it's the first time we're meeting somebody who, like, gave up on the sport. Like, the sport has negative connotations for this person. And that's kind of neat because it's it's nice to see somebody get, like, burned by it because I think that's really a part of sports too just as much as like becoming enamored with the sport because there's disappointment there's failure there's all those things that go into a sport so it's neat to explore a character that has felt those emotions get a broader so range she- of experience yeah exactly a much broader range of characters. and does types. she does she pull that off believably yeah she's doing a fairly decent job of it like I actually think her Sundari nature not that it's perfectly executed, but it's executed with purpose. Like that hot, cold, like, sure, I'll come practice with you. And then she gets like crabby and pissed off that he's so bad. And it's like, you can tell that there's clearly love of dance in her. It's just something beat it out of her. And she's in this fight with herself to like re-accept the fact that she's tiptoeing back into the sport. So for right now, I really like it. I think she's a really neat contrast to everybody else. Yes, she is Sundere, but I actually think there's purpose behind her. She's automatically given more depth than the classic Sundere. So I'm yeah. really excited about yeah. it. Um, Very the good. other thing I want to mention really quick, which was awesome, was so she and Tatara attempt to be a couple, and it's really not working out. Um, she gets really upset. She's like, your lead is terrible. I just don't understand it. And so Sengoku comes out and he's like, hmm, I can tell somebody really hasn't had much experience being the follower. So why don't you be the leader, Chinatsu? And Tatara, you're going to be the follower. Now, this entire time we've been led to believe that all couples are heterosexual. The man is the leader and the woman is the follower. This episode, in episode 12 or 13, it flips it around. And Chinatsu is the leader in the leader's pose with the leader's steps. And Tatara has to pose like a woman and attempt to dance the followers part. So we learn, um, he gets some appreciation. We get, we as the viewers get it through him that the woman's pose is very difficult. There's an enormous sense of balance and weight that uh, is really hard to pull off. So that was a nice touch because we Hmm. always seem to be getting everything from Tatara's perspective, a very masculine perspective. Uh, The other thing that was really cool is they're alluding to the fact, because Chinatsu leads beautifully, they're alluding to the fact that Chinatsu was a leader, which gives me the impression that there's either female leads, male follower pairs, or female-female, male-male pairs that exist. In day and the possibility dance. of like whoever this person is coming back to wreck up the place. Hmm. Yeah, so I was like, hmm, that sounds fascinating. Intrigued. So that was a really neat thing. Yeah, that was a really neat thing for me personally because the whole show has been very, you know, this hetero gender balance, and it was super cool to have it flipped. It like gave a whole new dimension to the sport because you should think that they would allow that, but it was almost like. I needed it to be said for it to be real, as weird as that sounds. Hmm. Hmm. So anyway, lots of talking, um, but I'm really intrigued. And this is the last time I'm going to talk about it for a while because um, I'll probably talk about something different. But I'm really intrigued. I think the show is really taking off. Uh, if you were frustrated by the first half, I do suggest sticking with it. It's still animated really nicely. It 
still looks cool. It still is trying to work itself out. And I think they're laying a much better foundation physically and uh, figuratively and literally, I should say. So anyway, lots about that. But it's, it's, it's good and it's fun. And the sport is interesting. Nice. Sounds like they're doing good work. Very cool. Dan, how's it going with um, Altair? Uh, well, it's very clear that it's going straight into its second season. Uh, it is, in fact, continuing straight on this uh, this core as well. You know, that I last time we chatted about it, I felt like it had to because you were just blazing at the speed <laughs> of business. And oh, yeah. Scott and I were like, I mean, Scott, you're actually watching it. But I'm actually I was just like, it, yeah. this doesn't make any sense. Like. How are you even pulling this off? Yeah, it was extremely rushed because they needed to get to it by the end of the core, which makes a degree of sense, but it also means that because there's no break, that section, I feel, if you take the whole thing together, is going to be kind of weird. But mm. um, We'll find out, I guess. I mean, the 13th episode is out, and I guess we shouldn't talk too much about it in this cast, but I am somewhat excited for where they're going with it as of episode 13, so... As of episode 12, I was honestly a little bit iffy. Like, I still don't... Yeah. I don't hate the show by any stretch of the imagination. It's doing a good job for the most part. Um, in the most recent... Or the most recent episode that I have seen, which was uh, 12, it was... You know, there was this big battle. Um, basically, all of the political machinations of the previous one, these multiple uh, smaller, like, sub-kingdoms, all kind of banding together to not overthrow, but stand up to the core kingdom of not Turkey uh, with some degree of influence from the uh, empire has all kind of come together. Uh, three of their armies converge on this one, on this one city. Um, the Sultan of that city was just killed by his own son in what was actually one of the, what I thought one of the better character turns. Now, I didn't really care for his son. He was sort of this, you know, he's the worst. Oh yeah. But at the same time, like, I actually really thought that was an interesting moment because he's like head over heels in love with this in love with this woman, but his father is like, no, we have to turn her over to these other people. It's the only way to save our kingdom. If you're ever going to be sultan, you have to understand this. And his son is like, no, that that isn't right. I even you know even outside of him being in love with this woman, he can't uh, bring himself to sacrifice her to save his own kingdom. So he kills his father and. It was actually like, you know what, that actually had a good amount of emotional punch. Even though we hadn't built up that particular character too much, it was... I actually really liked that sequence. I don't know if it was just how it was directed or if I was just in the mood for that sort of I thing. I mean, I'll agree with you. Like, it, it was well done. It was just sort of weird. Like, before, he's this sort of sobbing weakling that just loves the princess so much, oh my goodness. And then afterwards, he's basically a sobbing weakling who loves the princess so much, oh my goodness. But, like, yeah, for about five minutes, he stands up for himself. And I was like, all right, like, it was a good scene, but it wasn't... It's not book. I mean, he well. stands up for himself with murder. I suppose so. He does stand up for himself with murder and then goes back to being just like a complete sop. I suppose so. Yeah, it uh, it was an interesting it was an interesting thing. And it was like, you know, it was a cool story beat, if nothing else. Um, yes. And then that leads into this battle where the uh, one of the sultans, the most warlike and aggressive of them, has come in and he basically decides. Yeah, Balaban, this uh, like fiery redhead guy with a tiger for a pet. Yeah. Like he's actually pretty well, awesome. You, yeah, you got to have that. I actually really didn't like his character. He just 
Oh, I know, he's terrible, but, like, man, does he cut a figure. I suppose he does, yeah. He's no, he's nothing if not, like, an interesting presence. But they get in this whole battle where, you know, he decides to take a smaller detachment to fight them because otherwise it wouldn't be fair because they brought all of their forces outside of the city rather than sustain a siege. And um, uh, the our main character here has, like, devised this really, you know, interesting strategy to, you know, deceive them, separate their forces, you know, keep their cavalry and their infantry apart, and then lead them into this uh, trap where essentially he can use his secret weapon, which is guns, to... Uh... I have guns! like And, like, nobody has guns in this show, and he's got all, like... Like a hundred of them, nearly. No, he had like no. That's the thing. He had like less. He than... has. He has. Does he, has he win all the battles now, like Indiana Jones style? I don't know. It's it's just that he put them. He put him into a position where those that relatively small number of firearms was more than enough to turn the tide because he had thinned out the other the other guy's ranks, forced him into a bottleneck. Just a, it was actually really you know a clever strategy, and it just shows that Balaban was kind of an idiot for falling into. What, when looked at from a broader perspective, was so obviously some kind of trap, even if you couldn't have expected firearms. You need that I mean, Star Wars playing... thing to pop up. Yeah. It's a trap! Basically. Exactly. Like, well, they're, they're sort of played on his pride to get him to, like, send a small detachment. Like, that's what they're kind of counting on. They did, but at the same time, it made him a really weak character because, you know, for all of his, you know, for all of his ruthlessness and everything else, he is... He was so bullheaded that no one else was even willing to help him. It's like, you know what? If we try to help him, he's probably just going to try to murder us. So let him go on his own way. And it's like, wow, there's no way that could have negative impacts for your whole little rebellion. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. But anyway, interesting battle. Actually really well set up. Um, there were a few beats here and there that feel like that feels a little bit like you're stretching it. Like how they got things... Uh, set up in time for all of this because it all happens over the matter of like half a day but uh the rest of the the overall it was a pretty good ending to the show even if i really didn't have much mo emotional investment in you know balaban this evil sultan or his brother it's supposed to you know there's this big like tearful reunion on the battlefield kind of thing as one of them as one of them dies and it was just like i really don't care i don't really care about either of you but uh you know cool fight leading up to it that's true, and it wasn't it it wasn't like Arslany either. It wasn't you know completely overpowered. Yeah. No one is uh, what's his face there. No one is Narciss. Uh, no one, no one is, is Narciss. Yeah. No one is Narciss. It was clever, and it was also very obvious that this was you know this was them cunning. This was them using cunning because they had no other options. So Dan, are you are right. you excited for what's coming up next, or is it more like a inertia? I've made it through half. I'm going to make it through the other half. I'm in a better position with it than I was previously. Now that we've kind of gotten through that accelerated uh, crunch those last three or so episodes. Um, so I'm still very much interested to see where they go with it. Like I said, it's I would call it a B show. It's not it's not doing anything wrong. It's doing quite a few things right. It's just kind of. It, it, there's there's details of it that are bugging me, you know, weird weird stuff where it's very clearly like this feels like it was made for people who had read the source material because they just blitz through, you know, titles and places and other things so quickly. It's like I feel there's more context that I'm missing here, but they're pushing through it so fast that they don't have the time to invest it with that kind of world building. Okay, I guess let's go with this. Are you at all interested in finding the source material to know more? Actually a little bit. Okay, then it's 
probably doing its job more than I thought it would. I don't know. I, mean, I wasn't expecting you to say that, actually. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I feel like when I read it, I'll very clearly see this was not meant for me because, you know, between the character designs and everything else, it's like, this is very clearly a, you know, female targeted show. All the men are ridiculously beautiful. All of the, you know, action is very swashbuckly. The emotions run high. Everything is super dramatic. It's, you know, it's your stereotypical, you know, Japanese, uh, Japanese manga adventure story, but focused towards the female gaze. And that's fine. You know, gir uh, girls, guys, everyone, you know, everyone deserves stuff that caters to them. Um, I just don't know if it'll end up being for me. But I'd be interested in at least checking out the beginning of it. Well, that, that's cool, then. Yeah. It turned itself around. All right, Scott, what's up with the knights and the floating, like, yo dog? I liked your mechs, so I put mechs in my <laughs> floating mech castle with mechs. Oh my goodness, you have no idea. Like, the, 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 the Drake battleship actually is a mech that they have fused other mechs into as the turrets. Oh, thank like, goodness. It's like everything <laughs> I could have ever wanted. All right, I'm, wow. I don't even care what this show is called. Forget Knights of Magic. It's now called Pimp My Mech. <laughs> that's what we're that gonna a, call this that show. is exactly so it is surprisingly my mac oh my goodness it's actually all about pimping max so yeah this is the 13th and final episode of knights and magic uh it's the final battle so it's ernesti and his fanciest robot versus the other guy in his ridiculous battleship drake and there's all kinds of fancy flying and hidden trump cards that both of them pull out uh but in case you were in suspense ernesti wins uh, oh, thank goodness. I, Tenchi, I mean, Ernesti wins. Yes, that's what I meant. The world has been made safe for giant robots again. Yeah. And Ernesti's designs are definitely the future of Max. Oh, definitely. I mean, now his rival does get away, even though every, so everyone involved in the, the nation that was like doing this invasion, they're all dead. <laughs> Everyone's dead. Like the king of Zaladek oh, has lost okay. all of his relatives and generals and everything. And he's like, well, I guess that's the end of my ambitions. But the genius guy gets away to be like, I'm just going to go sell my technology to another country and try again later. So he's like, they're clearly setting it up for that. So Mandark uh, escapes and we'll fight Dexter another time. Exactly. Huh. Uh, as for recommendations, I mean, if you like cool looking giant robots and you want a main character that's geeking out as hard as about them as you might, then this might be your show. Uh, I mean, Ernesti, the main character, is never really up against something he can't beat. But that's because he never stops inventing bigger, better, more ridiculous mechs. And it does, to some degree, feel like he earns his stupidly overpowered robot. Now, Scott, I so, mean, was the final battle, like, super rad? Were you, like, blood-pumping, 12-year-old, fist-pounding excited? I mean, it was, like, a ridiculous mech with swords and laser guns fighting a giant dragon with more lasers, so... I mean, but was it done well? Were you... Did you like uh, it? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I enjoyed watching him win. Uh, and, you know, the ridiculous tricks and shenanigans the enemies tried to pull to keep him from winning. And there were side characters that I was somewhat interested in seeing how they turned out, and they all turned out good. So, yeah, I liked it. Hmm. So, uh, other than its sort of lack of suspense, it was otherwise solid, it sounds like. Yeah, like, if you can keep your eyes from rolling too hard, as everyone in the entire show is shocked every time he turns the established order on its head over and over again, uh, you can get through this and enjoy it. So just turn your brain off and watch some mech fights. Gotcha. So I don't know, maybe like B minus like C, C plus. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, it sounds like, like a C show. I mean, C plus thanks to high quality of animation, I guess. Like it, it's, it, it looks good. I'll give it that. There you go. 
All righty so, then. That's Back nights and magic. To, uh... oh I want to hear about cute couples. Yeah, Brendan. Brendan, you better get on that rug in front of that fireplace and tell us about your favorite Surrey Dairy children couple. It's Patricia and Keisuke. <gasps> da 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 da. Who have all of like five lines in the last episode? Because that's oh. the first episode they showed up in. So I don't think we've <laughs> talked about them yet. I know because they haven't showed up. Oh, fine. Well, They've tell been us in the story. op the entire time. <laughs> now Patricia is boss. Ah, oh, what was it? Like basically the only thing that happens uh, is that like she's talking to her, who presumably presumably her boyfriend. And it's like, I want to play on the, uh, like, it's sports day. And so we got all the characters are out, and they're all, like, interacting with each other, like, on or off the field. So it's, you know, a whirlwind of making sure you were paying attention. <laughs> Can you name all these couples? Exactly. And uh, so they, like, they uh, roll up to one episode, and, you know, suddenly, boom, it's Patricia. She's like, again, she's been in the opening credits the entire time, and she's like, I want to play soccer. And it's like, it's, you know, it's men's soccer or, or boys' soccer, like, the tournament happening right now and so it's like i'm not sure that they will allow you and then the teacher walks by and is like yeah sure hmm. <laughs> so she like just takes his spot <laughs> that's amazing okay their relationship is off to a great start i love it yeah um and does she win all the soccer uh she does win a little bit of soccer like she dunks <laughs> <laughs> she dunks and that, then i think that you're not actually allowed to <laughs> does she dunk and then spike and then uh, score a touchdown and, and gain 12 yards because Scott loves hashtag the sports sports <laughs> yeah she um she wrecks that sports ball excellent well that's um, good so Brendan I mean did you really like the show overall did you would you recommend oh, yeah. it yeah uh, definitely like it's a lot of the covers are like it, it's super cute. How awkward everything is! Like I think Aww. it really captures the, the like I have no idea what I'm doing feeling of like being in a high school romance. That's and, really impressive because normally anime has no idea how to do that. <laughs> it's you know there's there's always going to be some cringiness to it but it can be endearing as opposed to just grating and i guess the show hits that mark which is awesome <laughs> and i think yeah and i think that mark is the five minute mark <laughs> yeah like, you have to do it in five minute bursts you listening japan you either got to be freaking scum's wish and like really really do your homework or you got to be in doing it in five minutes or a quarter of five minutes because there were four slices per episode. Or, oh wow! Or is that what I? Or hang on, hang on. Where's the the lengths on those? Da, 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 da. Research in progress. Like Please stand by. by four. Okay. Two minutes each. Perfect. But um, no, like they sort of kept coming back to a couple of the main couples. Uh, so like uh. Okay, yeah, 12 and a half minutes, so minus like a minute change opening credits is like yeah, two to three minutes a, a piece, roughly. All right. Um, I really did enjoy like Kana and Chiaki like having issues. And uh, I liked Kamine and Goda because they were like quiet people and, you know, just sort of testing the waters gradually. Uh, and yeah, I, I still like the, the poor guy and his little sister. He's... Man, 
yeah, they didn't do a whole lot after that episode with the uh, the text conversation hijack. But <laughs> oh, that's right. That was still one of the best parts. So yeah, nice. like uh, if you like uh, <laughs> lots and lots of romance, <laughs> some <laughs> different flavors. This is a uh, quality sampler for you. Yeah, and that was Romance with Brendan. Summer mm-hmm. 2017. A romance flight, if you will. The <laughs> romance sampler. <laughs> and nice. now. Oh, baby, it's time for Sinfo Gear. Okay. Yay. Here we go, guys. So I'm going to be talking about Sinfo Gear uh, episodes 11 through 13. This fi- finalizes out season four. Okay, so here, we're just going to do this in rapid succession. Here we go. So I've been talking about the altar that's opening. Adam Hausch... I can't remember his last name. The point is Adam... Weishthaupt? Yeah, Weishthaupt. Adam Weishthaupt is opening the portal to the lunar ruins or whatever to pull out divine power with this like animatronic The beryllium doll. moon crystal? Oh no, the silver millennium imperium beryllium... Moon crystal. <laughs> anyway, the point is that he pulls down the moon crystal. He puts it into this animatronic doll named Tiki, and she turns into this super huge monster thing. So Hibiki punches it in the face, and it explodes. Hmm. Then it like the divine power is floating in midair. Okay, and so just kind of chilling. Yeah, it's like just hanging out. And so uh, Adam is like in the fight with Adam he reveals that he too is an animatronic doll. So he like rips his arm off and fights with it like a sword with Maria. He's like, as he's like talking about the curse of Bilal and the custodians and basically the plot for season five. I have to ask, is he like holding it by, is he holding it by like the shoulder or is he holding it by the hand? Either of Uh, these. By the shoulder, Dan, like the whole freaking (laughs) arm rips off and it hardens like a sword and then he fights with it. Dan, Uh, it's so amazing. And it looks as dumb as it sounds. Yes, it looks as stupid as it sounds. So he's fighting with it and then he, oh man, then out of his mouth comes, he's like, oh, ho, you know why you were able to defeat me? It's because Hibiki is the god slayer. It turns out Gungnir was manufactured to slay the gods. And that's why Hibiki can punch her way through anything. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not manufactured, Dan, because I hear you groaning over there, but I want it to be worse. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that this is, you know, Lance of Longinus, etc. But over time, it became a conceptual weapon. Oh, that could no. Kill gods man, because people that? believed that, that it could. Yes. Oh, man, yes. Oh, you are just like that stupid... Just like the sword that breaks other swords. Oh, man. So oh, baby. Okay, so now we're getting... So, actually, wow, that's a thing from, like, season three, isn't it? The whole conceptual weapon, bull hunting? Yes! Yes, it is, It's Dan! back! You're uh, learning! I'm so proud of you! Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh! All right, oh, so... Oh, it hurts to remember. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So exciting. Anyway, so... Anyway, now that Dan is a groupie, I'm so gonna cry. Anyway, so... So here we are. Um, the divine power is floating around... It turns out Hibiki is God Slayer. So Adam is like, yes, I have this arm that I've ripped off. Come to me, divine power, so I can be the man. The divine power flies right by him and wraps Hibiki in an egg and just sits there in between two buildings, like this gigantic egg. And everyone's like, Sort of oh, pulsing no. ominously. This pulsing ominous egg. So the UN far away is like, we're going to bomb Japan. That's what we're going to do because it's horrifying. Hey, Let's it's not America Japan. this time. 
Oh, wait. Oh, right past him. Wait, just you wait. Wait arm. for it, Dan. Just you wait. So they're like, we're going to bomb Japan. And they're like, no, no we're going to figure... Song is like, we're going to figure something out, yo. So then Hibiki hatches from the eggs a giant monstrosity of herself. And Song is like, don't worry. We've brought in an ultimate weapon. We've brought in Miku. Oh, so yeah. Miku shows up and like talks to Hibiki. And she's like, Hibiki, it's your birthday. I love you forever. And Hibiki's like, ah, and like stops moving. And then they shoot her with like anti-philosopher's stone or anti-anti-linker uh, anti so that she unbinds from her symphon gear which has bound to the divine power and it like comes off of her and she falls out and everyone's like oh thank goodness hibiki but guess what bitches it flies right into adam's arm <laughs> And dun, he's like, dun, dun, dun. please it's tell me, me. please go. tell me that it just looks like him wearing Hibiki's costume completely unaltered. No, I Damn. wish. <laughs> so he's got Aww. it. And he's like, oh, baby, this is going to happen. So then the they're like, look, we stopped it. You don't have to shoot us with a missile, the UN. So then the president and, and the, of the, and the of UN agrees. The yeah, UN's the UN's like, like yeah, that's we... cool. Everything's and then fine. the president sitting with some lemonade at a beach somewhere while some guy's <laughs> flipping burgers on a grill fires the missile from his like lemonade stand. And he's like, <laughs> got a new something. Yeah. So he pushes the button. The missile is flying. So St. Germain flies up because she's the only one that survived. Remember out of the three Pavarian Illuminati members. She flies in and she's like, no, I'm definitely going to stop this missile. So she starts singing because the Faust robes have the power to do that. But then Cagliostro and Prolati appear and they're like, what's up, girlfriend? We were never dead. What? We just I disappeared. Thought, I thought she was imagining them and then they yes! turned out they were real. Uh -huh. It looked like she was calling upon their spirits and then they're exactly. like, we're not dead. Guess what? We're not dead. So it turns out they've been hiding in some underground basement this entire time developing magical purple bullets that they fire mm -hmm. into the weapon of mass destruction. They use something called lapis phosphorum or something, which allows them to like create the perfect philosopher's stone, like perfect alchemy, aka there's like nothing left over. They transmutate something into something else perfectly, and they just get rid of the weapon of mass destruction. It turns into like beautiful lights and stuff. And then the divine power is just floating there. And then they disappear and die because they give up their perfect bodies in order to also like help with this philosopher's stone thing. Mm. It's beautiful and fabulous. And mm. it's just like everything I wanted out of the show. And Sparkles I was like, this is everywhere. Great. Mm. And then, and then Adam's like, Nya -her, I'm evil. And they're like, well, we're just going to have to fight you. So episode 13 happens. This was 11 and 12, guys. So episode 13 happens. They just punch Adam in the face. My favorite part ever, though, is like Adam moves really quick. He transforms into this horrible monster. And he moves really quick and is like fighting um, really easily. So all of a sudden, like a phone, like an old timey phone appears on the battlefield and starts ringing. Shirabe and Kirika look over at it and go, where did that phone come from? And Adam smacks them in the face with his tail and they fall on the ground and go, ah, he has so much cunning. And I was like, did you just, <laughs> they never go back to that moment again, by the way. The, the phone again. doesn't mean it's just like a it doesn't mean anything. A phone just appears on the battlefield. They get slapped and they're like, oh, his cunning is so high. And I'm like, what was that? <laughs> uh, 
wow, they're dumb. It's beautiful. So anyway, Hibiki, like, does all this crazy stuff, merges powers with other people, and is able to punch, you know, Adam in the face. And he's like, nah, ha, ha, ha. the custodians are coming down. You've sealed your own doom, season five. <gasps> but then, guys, so then they celebrate Hibiki's birthday. Everything's great. Then, oh. guys, the stinger shows up at the end of episode 13. Their elf nine is researching, and she's like, why the heck did the divine power manifest itself in Hibiki? That shouldn't be possible. Because basically, if you're human... You have something called the Curse of Balal and Original Sin, which means you can never take in divine power. The you custodians. Have to have a perfect vessel. Exactly. The custodians were trying to create vessels that would be able to take on the divine power from the lunar ruins. So there's no way Hibiki should have been able to do it. Oh, snap, kids. In t- season two, when Hibiki was crystallizing, the way in which she survived was because Miku was fused with something called the Sensu Jing. And for a while, she became a <gasps> Symphogear user. The Sensu Jing was known as the mirror that cleanses sin. And Hibiki was sh- Hibiki and Miku were shot with it in order for Hibiki to be cleansed and all that crystal Screaming to go away. Screaming pink laser light. Screaming pink laser light. So Hibiki has been cleansed of original sin, but gasp so has miku so both of them are pivotal points of season five i can't wait the point is kids simple gear season four is the season it's a a freaking show of the season y'all need to get on this boat yes Get on the Simple Gear boat. I... Get on the Simple Gear boat. Highly, highly recommended. Twenty-eight <laughs> out of five. Watch this show today. I, I just wish I could be as excited for anything as you are for this show. Dan, I'm so excited. All right. On a more grounded note, um, this actually to me was the weakest season soundtrack wise. I oh. think seasons one through three were significantly stronger. I'd have to listen to the whole soundtrack to really get a feel for it, but I feel like they downplayed the music a lot in favor of super duper bogus plot so that was probably the only downside i I did appreciate more duet songs yes there were definitely more duet and very unique those were cool songs yeah but um yeah i think season two still really stands out for me as my favorite soundtrack and i thought three tried some nice stuff with giving a lot of the characters songs that were very, very representative of them. So, uh, you know, that's the only downside. But the point is, watch the show, like, right now. Just hmm. drop what you're doing and watch all of Sinfo Gear. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to be ready for season five. You want to be ready for season five. Because... Best show ever. This Because this is no longer a season. It is, you have created a beast that cannot be fed. Yes, it's so good, Dan. The point is, it's so good. All right, guys. <sighs> Well, I know this was a long one. Yeah, this was a long one. We apologize. We had so much to say. So much Simple Gear. Um, we uh, we hope you've enjoyed. We'll be back for a bonus episode because we were following other stuff that wasn't what was in these casts. Oh, it's and true. We'll be back to talk about that. Um, so look forward to it, and we'll catch you next time. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.